Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew 1 was about Jesus being born and the genealogy leading up to uh, from Abraham through Jesus. And then Matthew 2 was him being born and God protecting him. And so now we're in chapter 3. And uh, this is all advanced now from the birth of Jesus, advanced now some, uh, oh, nearly 30 years, some 29 years or so. But notice this, chapter 3 from the New King James Version, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So notice, not only did the Bible give many prophecies about the Messiah coming, But it gave some prophecies about other contextual things, including the fact that there would be someone who went before Jesus. And this is the prophecy that he's quoting here from the book of, let's see, from the book of Isaiah. And it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so... Uh, it was prophesied that before the Messiah actually was revealed to the world, that there would be a voice crying in the wilderness. Well, you presume it's a person. And it was, it was John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist's assignment was to prepare the way for Jesus. Prepare. How, how would he prepare the way? Well, he would prepare the way by preaching to the people and stirring their hearts to open up to the God of their father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And their hearts had become hardened. And that was even true when Jesus began to preach as well. But their hearts had become so hardened. There were so many things going on that were inappropriate. And obviously the Lord said, God in his providence and wisdom knew, you know, if Jesus just shows up and begins to preach, their hearts would not have been prepared Their hearts would not have been primed, so to speak, to hear him. And so I'm going to send somebody before Jesus gets there and prime the pump. If it can use that term, many of you would understand that term uh, to sort of soften, soften, to help them to understand that, man, God is real and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You guys have to get your hearts prepared. And as people opened up to that message and began to pray, came to get baptized by John the Baptist at the River Jordan. John the Baptist, right? So he was baptizing people for repentance for their sins. Their hearts were opening up to God. Their hearts were becoming more pliable, more tender, more open, uh, more full of the fear and reverence of God, so that when Jesus then followed up and he began to preach, they had good soil, better soil of their heart than the hard-heartedness that they would have had had John not fulfilled his ministry. So notice again, it said, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse four, now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. 
Well, that doesn't tempt me, but uh, this is a prophet, and sometimes prophets of the Old Testament, and this may be true in the New Testament, but they were a, a little different than everybody else. They were in tune with spiritual things, sometimes more than natural things. And so, and they were willing to do whatever God said to do, to go wherever God said to go, to say whatever God uh, said to say. And so he was out there. He was a Nazarite, by the way. John the Baptist was to be a Nazarite. And so he didn't eat or drink anything from the vine, from grapes and such. So he's out there eating locusts and wild honey. Then notice this. How effective was his ministry? Verse 5. Then Jerusalem... All Judea, that's the whole region in the south, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. His preaching had a profound impact on the hearts of all that region in, I'd say, the lower half of the land of Israel. And they were so moved, something about it, even though he was dressed funny, camel's hair, eating locust and wild honey. But when he would preach, oh, something of the anointing of God, something would penetrate the human heart and they would, they would think, I'm hearing from God. I feel like this man is speaking for God. And so, and they were convicted of their sins. And so they came to be baptized, to be washed of their sins, repenting and such. And so he, he really had an impact on the nation. And verse 7 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, notice how, I mean, pointed and forthright John the Baptist was. He was not playing games. Uh, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers. Now, what, it, what does brood of vipers mean? Well, vipers, is, this is snakes. But brood of vipers, this is like having a, uh, a flock. No, this is like having a, 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 your baby snakes. Okay, so it's like a, a herd or a flock. Uh, it's it's the, all the babies that are just hashed out now. And he calls the Pharisees. These are, these are supposed to be the teachers, the most respected of the Jewish people. These are the ones they're studying the scriptures along with the scribes, chief priests and such. These are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are the theologians. These are the scholars of the scripture. And what does John do? John says, brood of vipers, offspring of snakes. Now, what is he talking about? Well, often the Bible refers to demonic spirits as snakes. Do you remember in Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So interesting to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Well, why would you just pick out snakes and scorpions? Well, what about lions, tigers, and bears? Oh my, right? What about other deadly animals and such that are out there, wild beasts and such. Why would you pick on those? Because serpents and scorpions would be among those that would be metaphorical for demonic spirits. And he's saying, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so uh, here we can see that 
when the Pharisees and Sadducees come, who are supposed to be the religious leaders of God. But John sees right through it, and John says, no, no, you guys have digressed to the point. You, you've become so religious, but you are not God's uh, representatives any longer. You're actually a brood of vipers. You're actually, you've actually become the babies of these demonic spirits. You are controlled by d- the demonic. And like, how could you say that about religious Jewish leaders? But it was true. It was true. Jesus came and said the same thing to them. So we know that what John is saying is true. But it wasn't only Jesus that picked it off, but John the Baptist picked it off and said, you guys are about yourselves. You're not about the scriptures anymore. You're not about the people of God. You're not about serving God. You're about bettering yourselves on the backs of people. And boy, when they came out, now look what happened. All these people are being baptized by him. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw all all the people are going toward this. And so what do they do? They come out to be baptized too. We want to be part of the in crowd. We don't want everybody to think that, you know, we're on the outside because, you know, if, if this is popular, we want to do it so that people know that we're part of the popular group. And boy, John the Baptist called it right out. He knew their hearts were not right. They were not coming to repent. They were coming to retain their influence. And he, oh, he called it out. And he said, brood of vipers. Look at it. Offspring of snakes. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? He was telling them, you are going to experience the wrath of God for the way that you conduct your life with pretense with deception, taking advantage of the people who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. What does that mean? No, don't just come in here and have me baptize you like that's all you have to do. No, let's see it in your life. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Let's see you live the life as if you're truly repentant from the heart. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And watch this. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, which was typical of how the Pharisees would talk based on what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, John the Baptist said, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. No doubt he's pointing at some stones there. And he's saying, don't say just because you were born in the biological lineage of Abraham, that you're in some special category that you can just live like hell. No, he said, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones right here. So don't use that as an excuse that you were born of the lineage of Abraham. So therefore you're exempt from any obedience or any purity of heart. So he said, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. What does he mean even now? <laughs> even now means uh, he had this sense, Messiah's here. I, I'm preparing the way for Messiah. And he said, and even now, even before Jesus starts preaching, of course, he couldn't say it like that because he didn't yet understand himself fully who this was or how this was going to play out. But he said, even now, the axe is laid to the root. In other words, I know that right now God is bringing the axe to the root of these trees that he did not plant. Later, Jesus said in, uh, in context of the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious rulers, he said, every plant that my father has not planted will be uprooted. And now 
John the Baptist is saying way back before Jesus came into his ministry, began his ministry. He said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. In other words, God is now coming to cut off this wicked leadership that is leading the Jewish people astray and deception taking advantage of them and not teaching them the true ways of the Lord. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Indeed, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Watch this. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Oh, let me tell you one time, I'll never forget. I was out by my pool, walking around the pool, reading the word. And I got to this that John the Baptist said, and I mean, I just started crying, (laughs) had to work to get control of myself. But Uh, Here's John the Baptist. I mean, countless thousands of people are coming to his ministry to be baptized by him. He's the only preacher in the land of Israel. And I mean, thousands of people, every day people are coming out to be baptized by him. This man has influence. This man has caught the attention of the nation. And yet his heart is humble. And he realizes, I am not the Messiah. He realizes, I'm only uh, getting people prepared for him to come. And so he says this, He who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He said, the one who's coming after me is as righteous as you think I am. Preaching this gospel, seeing all these people come to repentance and such. He said, I'm not even worthy to carry the sandals of the one that's coming. How would he know that? (laughs) I mean, this man had revelation. He knew that the precious one, the precious, sinless son of God who loved us so much that he gave up his place in heaven to take on human flesh, the creator becoming one of the created. And he said, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He says, you need to know that I am preparing you for someone that's coming. Boy, after this kind of preaching, you would think the Jewish people would be ready. Well, where is he? And when Jesus was revealed, they say, there he is. And of course, some did, but most did not. And so he said, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And he goes on to say, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm baptizing you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Notice, and with fire. Now, a lot of times we would place that fire as the tongues of fire that appeared over the various members in uh, the upper room on the day of Pentecost. It said, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. I don't know if it was on their heads or just sat on them, on their lap or how it appeared, but we know that divided tongues as a fire sat on each person, and it was a, a, a sign that they could see on each other that flame of fire. Of course, that was of the Holy Spirit. But notice this. He says about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So I, my mind automatically goes to the fire on, when on the day of Pentecost, They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and there appeared these divided tongues as a fire. However, if you keep reading with me here, you'll find out that that's not quite the fire he's talking about. Yes, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's clearly uh, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. But notice this, and with fire, verse 12. 
his winnowing fan is in his hand. Now, what's a winnowing fan? Well, back when you would thresh wheat, threshing wheat, you know, when you pick the wheat, when you pluck the wheat and such, the wheat has some chaff on it. So it's got some other little uh, parts of the stalk, parts of the plant, so to speak, around the wheat grain. See, and so what they would do was they would, in fact, I've seen this happen in Israel. They do a reenactment and such, but they would put the wheat out on the threshing floor and an animal often would drag around something that sort of uh, grinds the wheat down onto the ground and it separates the chaff from the wheat. And then what they would do is they got this big pile of wheat, but it's got the chaff. Now it's been separated from the wheat, but it's still all in a pile. So what they would do was they would often take like a what might be a a pitchfork or a shovel type thing and they would throw the grain up into the air and the chaff is so light that the wind would blow it away. If there was wind, it would blow it away, but the wheat would fall back down to the ground. In fact, Psalm 1 says this, you know, after the first three verses, it said, uh, the wicked are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Do you remember that phrase in Psalm 1? Uh, Well, what happens if you don't have any wind? What happens if it's not a windy day or you're in a place where there's just not a lot of wind? You have a winnowing fan a winnowing fan. And so uh, you'd throw the grain and the chaff up and the winnowing fan would create the wind and the chaff would blow away and the wheat would fall back to the ground. And that's how you separate the wheat from the chaff. But but John is using this here to say uh, the Lord is going to separate the wicked. And that's what Psalm 1 says. The wicked is like the chaff which the wind drives away from the wheat, which is the the people of God, those that are sincere, the faithful, as we might say. And so he says his winnowing fan is in his hand. In other words, he's not waiting for wind. He's going to blow this away. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff, not just blow it away with wind. Oh, no, he's separating, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Folks, this is talking about hell. So when when John says, I'm baptizing you in water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So those of you who receive him and obey him and serve him, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Those of you who won't, he'll baptize you with unquenchable fire. See, so you can see there's, this is a different fire. This is the fire of hell that he's talking about. I don't know about you, but I want to be the one that's baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't want any part of that unquenchable fire. So it says in verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. So now Jesus is coming. And John tried to prevent him. So see, John, John knows who he is. He's his cousin. Uh, and it was likely that John thought, you know, because of the story of Mary, the Immaculate Conception, and uh, some of the supernatural things that happened that John suspected at least all along. But it said, John evidently thought, I, I believe this is him. He tried to prevent Jesus from being baptized by him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. So John knew <laughs> my cousin Jesus is a special special man. I need to be baptized by him. Jesus had lived 30 years with, without sin. So John, just by that alone, John would say, oh, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. 
but likely he already knew because shortly hereafter he identifies him as the Lamb of God. But it says here, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus said, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It is fitting. It is fitting to fulfill righteousness. See, Jesus was born sinless and did not sin, but Jesus needed to walk through all of the law to do all the will of God in his life. So he wasn't just locked up in a closet so that he couldn't sin. No, he had to live life to go through life, but be obedient to God. Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. In other words, everything that you and I would have had to do to measure up to salvation, Jesus did. He measured up to salvation. And that's why he took our sin and died with it and hands us his righteousness because he did measure up. So the righteousness that we have is a free gift from Jesus is a righteousness that was earned by Jesus. He measured up and then gave that measuring upness that qualified, certified righteousness to us as a free gift. Oh, praise God. All right, here we go. Verse 16. Uh, Well, the end of verse 15 says, then he allowed him. Then John the Baptist allowed Jesus to be baptized by him. And John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Verse 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, so you can see there, that's not a sprinkling baptism. He came up from the water. He was in the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly, or landing upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven. Wouldn't that have been great to be there that day? And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whoom I am well pleased. I get the impression that As Father God is now watching Jesus, having gone from boyhood, 30 years old, and now it's time for him to launch his ministry, and God watches him do what he needs to do, go to the baptism. Now, Jesus wasn't repenting of sin, but you know, repentance is a turnaround. Jesus was turning from being this obscure, unknown Jewish person that was subject to his family and parents and such, to now it's time for me to get on with my ministry assignment to teach the kingdom of God. And the father is watching him do this. And the father just, he can't help it. He just breaks out and just raises his voice and pronounces it to everyone who can hear in that region. This is my beloved son. See him right there. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, it's just a precious thing. Uh, And this goes back to Jesus being God's daily delight. This this goes back to uh, how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, father's proud of him. And of course, he ought to be because Jesus was an obedient son. Jesus honored the father, loved the father, obeyed the father, followed the father. And father just couldn't help it. He had to say, that's my boy right there. That's my boy that I love right there. Oh, it's just just a precious thing. Thank God for the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and Father God. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. 
And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. Jerry Dearman